You are listening to episode 240 of the Master Your Mind, Business, and Life podcast. Today's guest had me re-evaluating my life, and I am 100% serious about that. In fact, after our conversation, I even told my kids about it, and they began to consciously think about sugar in a whole new light. This week's guest is passionate about helping us break our mostly unconscious love of sugar. Michael Collins is the founder of SugarAddiction.com and Quit Sugar Summit, as well as the past chairman of the board and a current board member of Addiction Institute. He has been completely sugar-free for over 30 years and has worked closely with others to help them regain lives ravaged by this addictive product. Before we meet this week's guest, it's time that we highlight a review from Apple Podcasts. This one actually comes from a guest who told me she now tunes in and turns it up, so I call that a double win. It comes from Miranda Mitchell, and it reads, Love. This podcast is full of conversation, community, and new perspectives. Definitely a great listen. Miranda, I appreciate you, and I appreciate each of you who tune in and turn it up each and every single week. If you didn't know, we offer Life Mastery Conversations on Wednesdays, a mini segment called Fuel Your Life Friday on, you guessed it, Fridays, and our newest storytelling series on Sundays called Awaken Your Soul Sunday. I love holding this space on this podcast, and your ratings and reviews help us get into the homes, cars, and earbuds of many. If you'd like to have your review featured, simply leave a five-star rating review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or similar. While you're listening today, be sure to take a screenshot, share that you're listening, put that on Instagram stories, tag me in it at MindBizLife, and let's start a conversation. All right, now that we've covered all that, are you ready to meet Michael? You know what to do. Tune in, turn it up, let's go. Conversations with everyday world shifters, truth seekers, and rule breakers. Here's your host, Lauren Smith. Hey, Michael. Welcome to the show. I'm excited to speak with you and learn from you today. Well, thanks for having me. It's an honor. You know, you're the founder of SugarAddiction.com and the Quit Sugar Summit. I think it's clear just by those two statements that you're passionate <laughs> about helping others quit sugar. But before I hit you with all of my questions, I'm curious to know when and how this passion started for you. So what's the story behind this? <laughs> I have the podcast version, Lauren. It's uh, uh, probably brings up more questions than it answers, but it does, <laughs> it does get you where, where we are today. So I, I think I grew up as a regular kid, at least I thought I did. But when I look back on it, not so much. Uh, you know, my mom was a sugar junkie, my favorite sugar junkie, and uh, we uh, we could li we literally had unfettered access to the sugar bowl. We could put as much sugar on our cornflakes or Cheerios as we wanted. She never even said anything. Yeah. And so as a result, we were scraping out a quarter inch or half an inch with the, of sugar with the milk uh, and eating it right off the spoon. And uh, we just, I just thought that was normal. And we had all kind of candy growing up and, you know, just everything. And, and it's kind of a sad story how it all got started, but it's very relevant to the, you know, our work. And, and I think to the solution to this problem is that my mom, 
my grandmother died when she was just eight years old and uh, they moved in with her aunt, uh, my grandfather's sister, and they owned the country store. The family owned the country store across the way. And anytime little Juliet came across the store, came across the street, she could have any candy she wanted. And it was a great gesture, the deal that my grandfather made, he put it on his account. But my mother learned very deeply, and I think this affects a lot of people of that generation, is she thought sugar was love. Mm. And she really treated it that way. I mean, I, I, you know, I just, I knew I had it in speaking with her in later years, you know, from, from birth, literally forward, it was bottle fed. So there was formula there too. And so, you know, I grew up believing this and she, you know, we would bond on Saturdays with a, uh, you know, the biggest bowl of oatmeal chocolate chip cookies you've ever seen. I mean, I don't know where this bowl is. I wish I'd have got that from the estate. I, <laughs> I, I did get the sugar bowl and I have that to this day, this pewter sugar bowl. But anyway, there's a great video on YouTube that kind of explains this uh, a little bit. Uh, Eric Clapton, the, the famous guitar player, yeah. is being interviewed by uh, Ed Bradley at 60 Minutes. And Ed says to Eric, he's they're sitting in his $7 million Antigua treatment center that he built to help other people. And he says, so this addiction thing, Eric, it started with heroin, right? And, and Eric Clapton says, no, Ed, it started with sugar. And, yeah. And, and I said, I used to eat bread and butter and sugar sandwiches when I was five and six years old to change my state. And we used to eat those and even brown sugar sandwiches with the lumps in it. Yeah. And, and it was just, I mean, the, the comparison to his life and mine are, are crazy. And so put a pin in that and kind of uh, that statement of changed his state, right? And fast forward a little bit to 14 or 15, and I'm, you know, kind of shy and I run into beer and, and alcohol and marijuana and all these kind of things. And I knew that beer changed my state. I was kind of shy, like I said, and I could talk to girls. So we would drink out behind the high school and then we'd go to the dance and I was able to, you know, finally talk with girls. Well, that party lasted until I was about 28 years old. It's a complete another podcast, but I'm open if you want to talk about it. And so when I got sober, I literally went right back to sugar. And the sugar, you know, I mean, this is common in recovery programs. Uh, I, I'm a thin athletic guy and I gained a lot of weight really fast. And the people that I was getting sober with, they gained like 20, 30, 50, 100 sometimes pounds in the first year because they just literally substituted one drug for another. They substituted sugar and, and caffeine and flour and all these things. And they just, it got, you know, it got worse. And so, uh, you know, I went on to have a regular life and a regular business career, but before then I met a woman, we got married and I, and I had a couple of kids. We're not married now, but uh, I somehow talked her into having children with no flour, no sugar and no caffeine. This is after I'd got off of it um, in the womb until she, until they were six years old, they never had any of these things. Right. Mm. And uh, at that same time period, I read a book called sugar blues and sugar blues was um, written by a, a guy who ended up eventually marrying Gloria Swanson, the famous movie star. Yeah. And, and they promoted it all over the world. And what I loved about it was 
that they told the history lesson, the deep, deep history lesson of sugar in our society and the English empire that was grown on the backs of slavery. They'd go to Africa and get the slaves. They'd go to the Caribbean, the Americas, get the rum and the sugar and everything. And the explosion of the profits made on the backs of sugar and slavery uh, literally had England take over the world. And I seriously believe we can't figure out individually or as a society how to get out of this issue until we figure out how we got in it and understand it deeply. And so, you know, keep going. My kids say, Dad, you should write a book about sugar because obviously they grew up their entire childhood only having sugar once a month at outside birthday parties. And there was, you know, some, they didn't have it at home. So I did that about three or four years ago and it did well on Amazon. Um, but at the same time, I really didn't, uh, I've had sugaraddiction.com about 10 years and I really didn't do anything. I was still working. And, and uh, so when I kind of semi-retired three or four years ago, I started coaching and doing online uh, groups and, and that kind of stuff. And we come to find out that the solution to this issue, if you will, is, and I've ended up during that time period and working with late stage food addicts, people two and 300 pounds overweight, losing limbs, going blind, and they still couldn't quit sugar. And over thousands and thousands of detoxes and helping people, we've developed a protocol and, a, and an understanding of why and what the requirements are if you really truly want to get off sugar and it feels like something that you want to do. So again, that's the short version. That's how I got here. Um, you know, ended up as the sugar-free guy. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I didn't sign up for it. I just thought it would be better for people's health. But the more I get into it, the more I realize that um, this truly is a substance use disorder and needs, needs to be named as such. And that, you know, I always bring up the proverbial person who's lost 200, 100 pounds. When you talk to that person, that person doesn't talk about weight loss, doesn't talk about food and exercise, calories in, calories out. What they talk about is their emotional management system. And this is, like I say, the core of what we do, how people handle their emotions, and that sugar used to be their go-to, right? And, and anyone who really gets into this work and really wants to succeed has to understand that has absolutely almost nothing to do with the food that they're eating or the sugar that they're eating and has everything to do with managing their emotional states that we, there's a great, um, uh, there's a construct in drug and alcohol world. If you started using drugs and alcohol at 14 or 15, you stopped growing emotionally, right? right? And this is very well known to practitioners of that and people in recovery, your finances are a mess, your life's a mess, your relationships are a mess, your, your career. You just don't do well because you don't handle problems well. You, you drink or do drugs. And like I said, that proverbial person who's recovered from sugar and food at processed food addiction has the same exact story where they had to start dealing with old trauma. They had to start dealing with new daily stressors in a way that was not sugar and flour, a way that basically our moms taught us to do by, I mean, when was the last time you saw a, a, a movie where a woman got dumped and didn't have an ice cream party with I her know, girlfriend? Right? <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, that's the, that's the short version. I mean, I, I can answer any questions and I, you know, whatever, 
But I do want to, I like to get that out because it is a little bit of a different paradigm. I'm really thankful that you're having me on a, a podcast setups. The arc of 30 to 60 minutes gives me time to explain this emotional uh component of it and that's a little bit different than people of the 72 billion dollar diet industry have ever proffered because they just don't get it they don't they don't see it but now i've seen so many success stories you know genius is just pattern recognition i see the patterns over and over and over again so yeah, no, we don't have a meat is murder or, or uh, <laughs> friends don't let friends drive drunk. We don't have something that instantly tells the story. So it does need a little setup. So thanks for yeah. having me. No, I love that. Well, I, I like the whole Eric Clapton reference because what I think you just brought to life is that we've all heard that marijuana is the gateway drugs or, mm. or even alcohol is, but it sounds like sugar is the actual gateway drug. So how how do we even begin to tackle this sugar addiction? Wow, what a great question. Yeah, I, and I do, I get a little pushback in, on people in their understanding of that. Yeah, I do believe that sugar is the gateway drug, the number one gateway drug, because unconsciously we realize that I can feel just a little bit better if I ingest sugar, no matter what the circumstances in my life. And so the... You know, the idea that marijuana is the gateway drug or alcohol is the gateway drug or whatever, just not true. I mean, this stuff passes the placental barrier. I mean, in scientific terms, this is all about, and this is, you know, an extension of the story of the um, uh, the emotional and uh, brain reward chemical component. In, in scientific terms, do, the dopamine your dopamine receptors are down-regulated. They're thinned out. You have less of them. They're affecting the nucleus accumbens, the dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine, GABA, uh, your adrenal glands and your endorphins, and the big one, oxytocin, the bonding chemical. All of these are affected by sugar. And the more the science explodes, and it has truly, truly exploded in the last five years, I mean, genuinely exploded to a level that is, you know, they can slide, they slide you in an, SR, uh, an MRI, and they can see their brain chemicals lighting up, just like alcohol and drugs. Wow. And now we have on the other side of the fence, the great giant food producers doing the same thing, trying to figure out the best, most addictive, most brain reward uh, products that they can come up with to help move this, you know, to move their profits and whatever. And so it's become this kind of vicious circle of people. And, you know, there's been some, <laughs> let's be honest, there's been a little disinformation proffered over the last 20 or 30 or 40 years about sugar and the, and it's, you know, and it's health and it's health benefits or health detriments. Right. Mm. And so, yeah, it's a, Again, a, a little bit, it takes a little bit of a setup to, for folks to understand why this is happening to them. Here's the thing. Look, every diet book worth, its, worth the paper it's printed on says quit the white stuff, right? Yeah. It says quit flour, quit sugar. Any in the South Beach, I mean, I can name 20 of them, but they're all the same. They, they have other things, other diets, but they all say quit the, sugar, quit the white stuff. Anyway, when they do that, what happens is they can grit and bear it. They can white knuckle it, you know, uh, like exercise a little bit and lose a little bit of weight. But what happens, and this is scientific lore, this is scientific 
proven fact by hundreds of peer-reviewed studies that most people, 90 plus percent, they lose any amount of weight, gain it all back in the first year. Wow. And then some, and that like they add interest. There's even a CDC study of the biggest loser contestants where it, it's like all but one or two gained all their weight, all their way back. And those folks started out, you know, good size. Yeah. And so this, uh, under, the understanding of why this is, and it's exactly what we've been talking about. You can white knuckle and grit and bear it for 60 or 90 days and lose some weight. But when a divorce comes along, when a financial crisis, when a pandemic comes along, when something comes along at, at six months or a year, you fall back to that emotional management system mm. and you just, you know, you gain the weight back. So there's a lot of anecdotal uh, evidence, but now this is truly becoming peer-reviewed science and it's kind of getting exciting for us over here. But Yeah. I mean, that is kind of exciting and it, it makes you wonder too, if like we know the impact or we're now learning on a larger scale, the impact of sugar it almost makes you wonder when is that shift going to happen then in the food um, mm. ac across the nation, even because I still find it like really sad that I can go in and buy a pack of Oreos and it's cheaper than buying, you know, some grapes. And it's like, why, you know, but it, and so many people then get stuck in this system of eating this junk food because it is cheaper. It's cheaper to get that versus organic produce sometimes, or that's the mindset, right? Of like, well, this is, this is what I grew up on. It's easier for me. And then stepping out and learning how to change that pattern is like, is tough in general. So what do you think? Like, do you think there's going to be a shift in America specifically when it comes to sugar and the future and how much it's in our food? Yeah, no, good question. I, um, one of my mentors says we are in the beginning of a tectonic 30-year shift, like uh, drinking and driving, smoking in public, condoms in bathrooms, seat belts in cars. I mean, we're very early in this. And, uh, you know, the sci when science says, for all those things that I just mentioned, that these, uh, this, that society needs to change, then it happens, right? Mm. And so that's where we are in, in the sugar thing. And it's, it's culturally, it's been ingrained for 300 years to every celebration from birth to death uh, with sugar and every holiday. And now 85, like you say, 85% of the food products in the grocery store have sugar in them. Crazy. If they're in a box or a bag or a can, um, it's, it's, it's like I said about the history story, the history lesson of the, the, the slavery. If you look back uh, after World War II, uh, we had K rations for the troops, right? So companies were created so that we have potable food for the troops. And before then, there wasn't really a lot of that. People bought stuff from the grocery store and they prepared it. And as they, you know, the war ended and the, these folks needed to stay in business, they started to move towards, you know, processed food for the masses. And then, you know, in the 80s, high fructose corn syrup came into the diet. And that was really the accelerant. That was like the crack epidemic on top of the cocaine epidemic. It just accelerated the whole thing. 
And you can watch the obesity numbers climb in parallel, in tandem, right next to the high fructose corn syrup in the, the food system. And so in understanding how we got into this mess is that, that we have to turn a gigantic battleship around and get people back to whole food, period, end of story. And in order to do that, they've got to understand, they've got to cleave apart um, the, the fructose and the glucose in the table sugar molecule. Now, this is a quick history lesson or a quick science lesson in that half the fructose, half the, the sugar table, table sugar molecule is glucose and half is fructose. And we all know what the glucose is doing to our body. We, we know that it causes diabetes and heart disease and, and I call it Alzheimer's diabetes three and just all kind of autoimmune arthritis, all kind of things, right? But what is less known and it's exploded in the last five years is the understanding of what fructose is doing. Mm. And fructose can only be processed in the liver. It's not, uh, you know, historically, we just didn't eat that much fructose 300 years ago. So evolutionary, evolutionarily, we're running smack into uh, our bodies that are just not accustomed to this food system. And, you know, fatty liver is a alcoholics disease that we now have an epidemic of five-year-olds and six-year-olds with fatty liver. And because they cannot process the fructose that they're eating, it's, you know, it's being turned into fat in the liver and, and we have an, you know, obviously obesity uh, uh, pandemic with children, in children is kind of crazy because they are not cooking or buying or, man, or, or creating their food. They're get, being given their food. Mm. And, and so it's, it really is a, there is a little bit of complexity to it, but at its core, it's really quite simple. And it is this fructose uh, uh, being uh, affecting the nucleus accumbens and the brain reward chemicals to keep you coming back like a substance, like the substance use disorder that it is. And this is very hard for society to accept. They're just not ready. Hell, they weren't even, aren't even ready to accept that drug and alcohol addiction is a brain science disease and it's not, you know, a moral failing. So when you look at the, 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 the cultural and uh, immersion in sugar and sugar products, you can see how big this battleship is and how, how long it's going to take to turn it. Wow. Yeah, that's, it's a huge ship to turn And You're right. I didn't even think in terms of drug and alcohol, just how much resistance there still is. Um, so man, sugar is going to be an even bigger one. Now I imagine like most drugs, there's likely a sugar detox for someone who's quitting. Um, so where, where does that kind of come into play? Well, um, it's, you know, are you old enough to remember the comedian Rodney Dangerfield? Yes. So Rodney had a tagline. I get no respect. I get no, he'd pull on his red tie and say, I get no respect. And sugar gets no respect as a psychoactive drug. Mm. And so you know, the idea that uh, sugar is causing all this as a, as a psychoactive is just not accepted or acceptable yet. And so, yeah, it's, it's going to be a, it's going to be a long time before that uh, is an awareness that people are ready to accept. 
Yeah. If you, I, I see this all the time of like the seven, like quit sugar for seven days, 14 days, 21. Does that actually, is that like really helpful to do these like little challenges? Does that lead to learn long-term success? Uh, yeah, I, I guess I, I really didn't answer your question last time, but uh, you're right. The detox is real. Um, and it's physical and emotional and mental. And I always say anyone who starts a sugar detox and does the things that we suggest, no flour, no sugar, no caffeine, and had any kind of habit at all in about the second or third day, they will be incapacitated. They will not be able to work, parent, do anything. They will have headaches, lethargy, depression, uh, acne breakouts, starving and alternate with nausea and diarrhea and constipation, they'll just be a mess. And that should be the first clue. But um, that part is very real. And our job in the 30 days, and the answer to your question, the second question about the detoxes is they are usually, it, it, it's, I think, piling on to the, uh, the topical nature of the detox where every diet plan on the planet now has a sugar detox. And it's impossible to detox. One of my contemporaries and best friends uh, in, the, in the sugar education world says, you're not really even in sugar recovery for six months. It takes six months of going back and forth. So there's no real detox um, unless you understand the stuff that we've been talking about earlier, where you're trying to understand your emotional attachment, your emotional use of this drug. And so, but the physical part, the part that I think that people wrestle the most with is that because your dopamine has been down, dopamine receptors have been downregulated because, you know, you've been playing with your serotonin, which is the thing that uh, SSRIs, the Paxil and Valium and all these kind of things they're trying to play with to try and dial in. We have been self-medicating and dialing them in for decades. And then when you stop, it's like going through a withdrawal of an SSRI. Now, I, you know, I'll get a lot of hate mail on that one, but <laughs> I, do, I do see it. I do see that this withdrawal period is real and, and physical and difficult. And if people don't realize what's coming and don't have a guide, the 21 days, 30 days is not gonna help until they do this. They install during the process an alternative emotional management system, be that walking or yoga or a hug or call a friend or a massage, some kind of self-care that uh, creates dopamine that is not sugar or flour or caffeine, that, that is something that is um, something that requires effort The 10 million years of evolution has installed in our in our our original operating system to manage those emotions. If they don't understand that construct, if they don't make that a priority in their recovery, it doesn't matter how long uh, you, you, know, you detox for. Because remember the statistics of people being able to do very well uh, for six or eight months. And then when something comes back up, they gain the weight back and they gain it back because they return to an old antiquated substance driven emotional management system that just no longer serves them. Wow. So what about for someone who may be listening and they're like, okay, Mike, but I'm not overweight, right? Like I'm fit. I'm in shape. Mm -hmm. Like I, but I still have 
you know, occasional sweets and I have flour. What is that doing to their body that they just may not see? And I know we've had other health like experts talk on the gut a lot. Is mm. sh- how is sugar affecting the gut? Yeah, no, I, I, I always go to that. And now what do they call those things? Acronyms or whatever. Tofi, thin on the outside, fat yeah. on the inside. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've, I've literally like a skinny had a, fat. <laughs> yeah, like, a skin, like the, but the, the fat around their organs is, is gigantic. I mean, it's mm. pressuring it. It's fatty liver. I mean, I've had ultra marathoners. I've even had an Olympic athlete, a woman who placed in the Olympics who couldn't put down the sugar. And I want to tell you the off uh, scale benefits that people after they, we got a saying around here, you come for the vanity and they stay for the sanity. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So they're like, they're coming to lose weight. That's what they think they want to do. Right? right. And they do at the beginning and they will lose weight. That's just a byproduct. But what they rave about most, the two things they rave about the most are, uh, well, a lot of times, well, hands and knees, first of all, r- rheumatoid arthritis, just paper tiger just goes away completely. And then second couple things is the brain fog goes away. It's like you literally can process better. You remember better. You feel better. Your emotions are better. You're sleeping better. You're waking up refreshed for the first time in decades. And then the other one, if women would understand this, two things, the dark circles under their eyes start to go away and their skin clears up. Mm. I mean, just yesterday we had someone on the, on the, one of our forums say, I can't believe that I came here to lose weight. And I, I've had acne and I've done, every, and she had this list of about 10 things. I've tried everything and I'm only 25 days in, my acne is completely gone and I haven't had a breakout. And this, that's one I hear all the time. I mean, that's just all the time I hear that the sugar and the acne. And, but the brain, the thing is to me, the most exciting. I've seen people transform before my very eyes into, you know, slow moving, slow processing, uh, depressed looking people to just really amazing process. You know, they're very articulate. And so I, I just don't people, I don't think people realize they think of it as aging, right? They think that these things are just aging when that's the last thing they are, you know? Yeah. Like you're just contributing to it with the sugar, it's like, yeah, sure. like feeding with it. I'm, I know you said you raised your children for six years without sugar, um, you know, of course, with the the birthday party suite here or there. Is there a lot of data that supports um, or shows anything different, maybe behaviorally, academically, or even medically from a child who hasn't had sugar during these years versus a kid who has had a lot of sugar? Oh my God, Lauren. It's, uh, you know, like yes, mind blowing. <laughs> it's mind blowing, right? There's a new book out called uh, Sugar Proof, which is at, at Sugar Proof Kids. Dr. Gorin has been studying uh, obesity in children for 30 years, He's got 50 million in funding in, in, for, in that time period. And the lab at USC is named after him. Wow. And so there is, you know, and he quotes a lot of that research. And, but also recently, the American Dental Association, American Pediatric Association, American uh, Heart Association, and another one got together with Robert Wood Johnson, one of the largest nonprofits in the world, and announced for the first time all four of these medical associations agree that children between zero and five should have no, and that's zero, sugar sweetened beverages. Wow. So, yeah, there is it, that's coming very fast. It's actually the fastest thing we've ever done, the growth of our sugar-free kids program. Yeah. And so, 
Um, but yeah, there's a lot of research and I, that's really my long-term goal uh, is to get uh, childbearing age women to understand. I mean, if someone has a substance use disorder or smokes cigarettes, they can quit alcohol that day. They can quit yeah. cigarettes, not, not like the next day, the hour the doctor tells them is the last cigarette they have. And, but the sugar thing is just another story. And these weight gains of, you know, ridiculous numbers uh, during pregnancy is in my view, just emotional management gone haywire. You know, it's a nervous time, uh, whether it's the relationship or the finances or the first child in general, or the whatever child in general, birth in general. I mean, it, that this is something that needs to end. Um, you know, uh, it does affect children. There's no doubt in my mind. I, I didn't even know until I had my first daughter of how quick people were to give kids sweets. And I, mm. I think it makes sense if we go back to what you said, like comfort, sugar equals love. Um, but I, we, we didn't allow my oldest daughter to have sugar. I think the first time she had anything like sweet aside of fruit was for her first birthday. And mm. she didn't like it. <laughs> like it was like nice. immediate, like, you know, like, no. And now she's 11, like doesn't like soda. She'll grab a bottle of water. She just, she doesn't like sweets. And I am almost convinced it's because for the first couple years of her life, we just didn't allow it. You know, it wasn't like something that we gave her all the time, but I remember her being like eight or nine months old and cutting a new tooth. And someone immediately was like, oh, like, here, just give her a little bit of my milkshake or, you know, something like that. I'm like, no, she's good. Yeah, you know, thanks. Like, but it was automatically give, give her something sweet. She'll feel better. You know, like that was always the mindset. So I can see it. And I don't know, maybe she just is a child who doesn't like sweets, but I really think that not introducing it kind of helped in, in our case. Right, exactly. Oh, it's so fascinating. Well, Michael, I know you have so much more to share and we're getting tight on time. So where can our audience go to connect with you further and learn more from you? Yeah, sugaraddiction.com. Uh, we brought the Amazon book home and we give it away free now. You can see the last resort sugar detox there with a big yellow cover. Just click on it and you can download it for free and read it on your computer. Um, so yeah, or your phone or whatever. That's a start that kind of tells the story that you and I have been discussing in depth a little bit and uh, gives you ways to you know interact with us. We have 30 day challenges and that kind of stuff that'll get you introduced to all this. And uh, you know, moreover, it's important to you know train you during the 30 days on the long-term effects. And we have communities and Zoom meetings and all that kind of good stuff. So. Oh, wonderful. Well, I will be sure to link that in this week's episode notes. Michael, you're what I like to call a world shifter. You're doing such important work. Thank you for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You keep up the great work. Michael is so full of wisdom. I mean, seriously, I'm diving deeper into my own personal addiction to sugar, and I encourage you to do the same if you feel called to. Be sure to connect with Michael. I've linked his website and social channels on this week's episode notes found on mindsbizlife.com. I'm back on Friday for another episode of Fuel Your Life Friday. But until then, remember, every level of life is an opportunity to grow. Be well, my friend.